Welcome to I Sleep Great, a non-parent's guide to parenting. Congratulations, you have a baby. Now what? This is why Nurture the Next exists, to help parents, especially vulnerable ones, on their parenting journey. Not one baby has ever come with an instruction manual, so Nurture the Next is here to cheer on parents, connect them to resources, make sure they understand what is happening with their newborn, and help set goals in order to lay a strong foundation for the child and for themselves as parents. On today's inaugural episode, I chat with Dr. Rosemary Hunter, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at Vanderbilt University and Nurture the Next board member. We discuss the importance of safe sleep, the challenges of breastfeeding, and why she believes new parents must give themselves grace. But first, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is supported by Chorus, a strategic communications and marketing firm that partners with organizations that shape our society, including nonprofits, social enterprises, government programs, and political candidates. The team at Chorus is deeply passionate about communicating with purpose. Their expertise is helping clients promote strong women, healthy families, and thriving communities. Their work has proven that when done right, communications is a catalyst for positive change. Chorus provides a range of strategic communication services but they are especially good at developing compelling messaging and outreach and marketing plans that are intentional and impactful. Visit www.workwithchorus.com to learn more. That's Chorus, C-H-O-R-U-S. All right, let's get to it. Dr. Rosemary Hunter, how are we doing? Good, how are you, Ben? I am well. Welcome to I Sleep Great, a non-parent's guide to parenting. You're our first guest on the show. I am very honored. Does that excite you? It does. It does. You've been pretty involved with Nurture the Next. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. I've been a board member for three years now. And I first was approached and was so excited because I really believe in their mission of helping families with young children and helping support them as they're learning and going on their path to parenthood. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of families, of course, in the clinical setting, and it's so rewarding and encouraging to me that there are people out there that are there to support families Mm -hmm. because it is so important. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's relevant to why I'm here today. Why am I here today? (laughs) Let's just say it plain. I'm not sure why I'm here today. Yeah. (laughs) What are we doing here? This is what's going on, Dr. Hunter, between you and me and the audience. A lot of my friends are starting to have kids. I'm a 32-year-old guy here in in town, friends, family members, they're having offspring. And you know this, I know this, I know that you know that I know this. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, they're having the babies, but it's a lot of work to have a baby. It is a lot of work. Fortunately, they have their old friend Ben here to go out Mm -hmm. and and kind of do the research and do the heavy lifting and, and really find out, you know, explore some of the more challenges of early parenthood. And I feel like you can maybe speak to some of the challenges of early parenthood. Would you agree with that? I could from a, (laughs) from a professional level and a personal level. Of course, I have three of my own children. So can you, for those who are listening, can you tell us your role and and what it is you do here? We're at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital right now. Correct. So I'm a general pediatrician. I've been in practice for about 24 years since I graduated residency. I was in community practice for about 14 years and then joined Vanderbilt faculty in 2011. And now I teach pediatric residents how to be a general pediatrician. So I've sort of seen both sides of that as a primary care physician. And I love what I do. 
I do a lot of work in the primary care clinic here at Vanderbilt, and then I do a lot of work in the newborn nursery. So see parents on the their very first few days of becoming parents, as well as being able to watch them in the clinic as the children grow and mature. Mm-hmm. Why did you become a pediatrician, Dr. Hunter? Oh, that's a great question. I loved children, right? So when you go through medical school, you rotate through all the different areas of the hospital. You take care of adults and you might take care of children or you might go into the OR when you're on your surgery rotation. I did it a rotation in OBGYN. And you you tend to pick the specialty where you feel most comfortable, where you feel like you have the patient population that most excites you. Mm-hmm. And so I was just always drawn to be with the kids. I find pediatrics to be a very happy specialty most of the time, right? The children are rather innocent. The things that happen to them are not necessarily, it's not their fault. Mm -hmm. They haven't had, you know, made bad life choices necessarily. That being said, of course, we want to have love and compassion for all our patients, which we do. But I find they also will get sick. They can get very sick, but they can also get better. They also you know, in general, it tends to be a self-limited illness that you can shepherd them through and then they come out the other side. And I found it just to be very uplifting and happy. That being said, of course, there are times where it's not always happy, but it's a beautiful honor to be able to walk a family through those experiences. I really love knowing my patients over time and watching them grow. I find child development fascinating Mm -hmm. to see this young baby grow into this young person Mm -hmm. who, you know. Grow into an angsty teen, (laughs) into an underemployed adult. (laughs) Exactly. And then interviewing pediatricians. Yeah. Most people that are having, at least here in Nashville, that are having their children are not having them at the children's hospital. Is that correct? I guess what I'm getting at is like, if you are a newborn is here, is it because there was maybe some difficulty with the, the birthing process? Yeah. So the Vanderbilt Hospital, uh, of course, is just next door. So that's where the moms go to deliver the babies. And then if there is a problem with the baby, there is a highly respected and wonderful NICU. And some of those babies are staying over in the Stallman nursery over at the main hospital. And then some are also being transferred here to the NICU at the children's hospital. But yes, those are babies who were born early or have some other medical problems that have necessitated further care here. So you hope as a new parent that you have a child and everything goes off without a hitch, right? The baby Mm -hmm. is healthy. It is delivered on time. But talk about scary for Mm -hmm. for a new parent. It's if it goes perfectly well, it's overwhelming and frightening. If something even the smallest thing goes awry. I mean, my mother must have been a wreck, you know? Yeah, it's hard to prepare for that. You know, you are you just want everything to go right, and sometimes it doesn't. We lay the best laid plans, but we have to be flexible when you have a baby because flexibility is key. And not everything goes according to plan. Sometimes the babies don't transition well or have breathing problems or they might drop their blood sugar or they might have feeding problems. We always are trying to caution parents about what we're watching out for, why we monitor them for at least a full day after they've delivered in the hospital to make sure everything has made that transition because it's a big transition from being in the womb Mm -hmm. 
and coming out. To being a... <laughs> being a live human out here <laughs> with stable vital signs and knows how to eat and all of that. And you can't turn back now. Once you've, <laughs> once, no. you've once it's out of the womb and it's in your hands, have you found that there is that moment for parents where they go, oh boy, you know, like that scene in The Graduate when they run off at the end and they're on the bus, you know, the scene I'm talking about? I have never watched that movie all the way through, honestly, just in parts. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> just trust that it's the perfect analogy of them just being like Dustin Hoffman and, and his wife just being like, oh boy, now what? Do you find the parents have that moment when they're holding their newborn in their hand for the first time in the hospital room? Definitely. Definitely. It's a compilation of so many emotions. You know, you're just so thrilled to meet this person you've been carrying around for nine months and you're so excited and then you're just getting to know this beautiful creature you've created. And But it is, it's scary, it's overwhelming, it's so joyful. But, you know, yes, there's a lot of conflicting emotions. Plus you're exhausted. Yes, yes. Where we're at is we found a partner, we like them, we've gotten married, then we have a baby. Nine months go by. Walk me through what happens the day of delivery? I'll tell you, it's probably a better question for an obstetrician because there is so much that's happening in labor. There's different stages of labor. When you first start feeling contractions or know you're in labor and then you might call your OB and, and head to the hospital, they're going to kind of guide you and monitor you and monitor the baby. And it's very exciting, but they equate the labor process almost to like running a marathon. Your body goes through so much. So that's why after delivery, many women are exhausted. And not many people are prepared to run a marathon. No. That's a marathon no, you didn't sign up for. for. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so this is the first lesson, by the way, going back here of our podcast is new parents, don't call your pediatrician when you're about to have a baby. Call your, call <laughs> obstetrician, your obstetrician. Everyone needs to know that. Well, I've never heard that about the marathon. It is a physically painful experience. It is. It is physically painful. Yes. It's a pain like no other. That being said, we have some great medicines to help alleviate that pain. Mm -hmm. And we encourage everyone to talk to their obstetrician about pain control because we have wonderful medicines now and it does not have to be a gut-wrenching, painful experience. Mm -hmm. it, it should be what you envision something that we can see you through and make it less painful. I get the sense that your philosophy or your ethos as a doctor, I'm just trying to use big words here, is that you shouldn't have to white knuckle it as a new parent, that you have resources. We have things that can help you make being a new parent less challenging. Would you say that's accurate? Definitely. Definitely we have resources to make it less painful. And that would go through labor and delivery. And then also when you're first starting to learn to breastfeed, there's a lot of changes that are happening and it's a learning process for you and the baby, let's say, when you're learning to breastfeed. So, but you're not supposed to sacrifice your health and your body and all your sleep to caring for this new person. You know, you do have to take care of yourself because a, a mother who is loved, supported and healthy is going to be a good parent as well as being able to support that baby. The best way to support that baby is to also take care of yourself. You're bringing up a lot of avenues. I know, we're going. We could go yeah. down here. And it, I, this is fun because, and it's fitting because when you're a new parent, your mind's all over the place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're talking about getting good sleep, sleep hygiene, breastfeeding, lifestyle changes. Can we start with that last one? Just some of the lifestyle changes that 
new parents can expect. They say there's no manual. You walk out of the hospital and it's, again, sort of now what? It's the graduate analogy yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of lifestyle changes. And I think women feel this most acutely because of the physical changes that they're having during pregnancy. And I think one of the things that's probably less appreciated is what it's like for the partner to watch because they it's out of their control. They're not going through the same physical changes. They are not necessarily having the baby or breastfeeding the baby. So that partner is having to kind of watch this on someone they care about and love. And, and it, it can be hard yeah. to know how can I be helpful so especially if you're someone who likes to have control mm -hmm. and you're not the one bearing the physical burden here. So you're thinking, well, I've got to I want to be helpful here, but you're kind of helpless in some respects. In some respects, there's a lot out of your control, but you certainly can be helpful. So the new new mom always needs some care, some tender, loving care. So you can bring water to the new mom. You can help make sure she gets fed and gets a break so that she can actually get up and use the restroom. And someone else can always hold the baby and, and change the baby and swaddle the baby. And, you know, as time goes on, you can also assist with feedings, whether that's bringing the baby to the mom to breastfeed while she stays in bed and then take the baby back after the feeding's done. Or if the mom uh, wants to pump and supplement with express breast milk, or if you're formula feeding, of course, the partner can always feed with a bottle in those situations too. And just being that support, because your emotions kind of go all over the place, which are somewhat hormonally induced. <laughs> and so having that calming presence for the baby and for the mom is very important. What I'm sort of realizing as I'm listening to you here is so much of the focus is on this newborn and, and successfully birthing this newborn and that transition. But is there an unexpected challenge to, we haven't talked about the couple and mm. how it's not a strain on the relationship necessary, but do you find that new parents don't anticipate what this is going to mean between them as a husband and wife? Yeah. And this is not to show you my area of expertise, but definitely there is We're a change. psychology now. <laughs> yes, yeah. we are because we have this whole other person. I, I have written down here that <laughs> you're an OBGYN yeah. and a psychiatrist. <laughs> Did I not get that right? That might be your next guess. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, definitely that baby. It's fascinating to watch to me, but they come out with their own personality. You think you might have images of them being a certain way and they end up being a different way just because the babies, yeah, some are laid back and some are more needy and some, you know, it's all in the gamut of whatever their personality is. And it's lovely to watch and learn a new person like that. But it is, it, your focus is so much on the baby that, yeah, the, the partners take a, end up taking a bit of a backseat and in their relationship you can't sometimes. that part, I, I don't think, right? No, you don't want to totally neglect that. No, of course not. But it does seem early on as you're getting your physical bearings back and concentrating on the baby, that the couple, you know, if they can band together and, and uh, work cooperatively, it can be a beautiful, wonderful thing as they get to enjoy their new baby. But it can be a little hard. It's definitely an emotional shift for yeah. both parents. Yeah. Can we just talk about that? I mean, I'm very interested in this, this world-changing emotional shift that happens. What have you seen from your kind of vantage point as a pediatrician? You have to have patience because your own needs are sometimes taking that back seat. 
as you're working towards taking care of the baby. It's somewhat stressful. Well, somewhat. It is stressful (laughs) for couples. But, you know, there's there's a, a good number of people who don't always have a partner with them, you know? Yeah. So there's all kinds of families and you want to be mindful that this is a temporary time period. This is not going to be forever. Mm -hmm. So if you're facing challenges either alone or with a partner, your needs do sometimes take a bit of a backseat for both partners. Your goal, though, is to come back together and have that partnership and caring for the baby. That's going to hopefully strengthen your partnership. Mm -hmm. But if you have cracks in the partnership to start with, that baby, they're going to show and that baby will challenge those cracks. Yeah. Wow. This is not to be taken lightly. No. No. (laughs) Wow. So we have the uh, psychologist, Dr. Rosemary Hunter (laughs) here. You know what is funny to me about having a newborn is it is such a huge momentous thing. And yet, There's no, it almost seems like buying a car is Mm. there's more of like a tangible transaction that occurs than this is the car you made and you don't have to sign anything. We don't have to do a credit score. Right, right. We do get that a lot. These are not cars (laughs) is what I'm getting at. They're not. Well, and uh, you know, that some people say you, you should take a class before you become a parent because it is so challenging and yeah, you have to take classes to learn how to drive a car. You have to register the car. There are just certain things you have to do to become a responsible car owner and driver. Mm -hmm. You want to check the Kelly Blue Book value, (laughs) you know? Know its value, yeah. But parenthood is is not the same. This is a change in your life and creating a whole new person, right? And it's their life too. Yeah, there should be a little more preparation involved, so. And that's part of why I'm, I'm sitting here with you today is because Quite frankly, people just don't have time, but I've got the time and I'm joking, of course, but, but I'm setting out to do the heavy lifting here. Now you're talking about support and how cracks will show and that there's this immediate challenge. At what point does the village start to show up and support the couple? When can I go to my friend's house again? Because <laughs> they've been neglect- they've been avoiding me. It's exhausting to have a baby. And I don't like new families to feel like they've got to be on for their friends or family, that they have to help host, that they then have to regale them with the stories of the delivery. (laughs) I encourage them to concentrate on themselves in the smaller family unit so that they make sure they're getting enough to eat and sleep and rest. You want to nap when the baby is napping. You want to prioritize your sleep so that you can be better rested to help care for that baby. You don't need to be cooking, cleaning, hosting, putting yourself through a lot of time and effort to focus on other people. You really want to focus on yourselves and the baby. So I encourage them to say, if your family wants to come, then they can do the laundry and they can make the meals and they can help pick up and they can help hold the baby or change the baby. But But, don't be there to take it out of them. Yes, don't take it out of the new parents. They're there to feed you and support you. But if if they're going to be more stressful or be more in the, you have to host them in some way, then I would keep those visits very short. You know, it's interesting you're bringing this up because I actually 
my older brother just yesterday, him and his wife just had their first, it's my first time being an uncle. And I've already kind of been like, they're probably very tired, but do I ask them how they came up with the name? When do I ask about when I should go and visit? And I think what I'm realizing already just in talking to you is that's energy expent on their part to do that. So don't ask those things. Give them their space and be there for support rather than making tired people more tired. Right, right. You want to just kind of check in with them, but keep it brief. It's just see where they're at. If they're exhausted and need to nap, then they shouldn't answer the phone. But if if they want to talk about it, if they're excited and they want to talk about everything that's happening and, and they want to share it with you, then great. But you just you need to be the presence there and then take their cues on where they're at in terms of sharing their experience or needing help from you. Can we talk about changing gears here for a second? You've mm-hmm. mentioned sleep a couple of times. Can we talk about, to me, sleep seems like it's out the window for new parents, but you're very big on safe sleep. Is that correct? Safe sleep for the baby, but also the parents as well. Right. So safe sleep is very important to me as a pediatrician and to all pediatricians that we try and teach, especially in the hospital, families on on what that means. And the way we have described it to make it easy for people is the ABCs. So the baby's supposed to be alone in the crib without extra pillows or blankets or stuffed animals and photos of uncle ben yeah photos of uncle ben reminder (laughs) that's right doesn't have to be in the crib um they're supposed to be on their backs and in their own sleep space or their own crib you can dress them warmly for the weather or they can be in a tight swaddle but we don't want loose blankets that get up near the face or like i said pillows or extra stuffed animals and things in the crib if they're alone on their back in the crib They are the very safest place to not roll over or suffocate or, you know, come up against something to help maybe, you know, impair their breathing in any way. So is that a big challenge for new parents? Not like infant death by sleep, a problem, but I feel like I've heard about that before. It is a problem, actually. Believe it or not, in general, the deaths in this is true across the country, but even here in, in Davidson County. About a quarter of deaths in infants under one year of age are what they call sleep-related deaths. So the baby was found in an unsafe sleep position or died during their sleep. So there's not a um, specific cause. But if we know that there is an, an unsafe environment for when the baby is sleeping, that is, that is something we can do, right? That is something that we can intervene and right. do something about. So what we find is... People are bringing the baby into bed, you know, because you're up feeding the baby at night, right? And you get exhausted and you get sleepy. And if you fall asleep with the baby next to you in bed, and let's say there's a parent on the other side, there's just unfortunately a risk that there might be a lot of blankets there or the baby might accidentally get rolled over. And so the safest place is for them in their own sleep space on their back. So I'm I'm making a joke about this podcast, calling it I Sleep Great and being, you know, oh, we're tired as a parent. But there are some serious implications to fatigue and early parenthood that, like you said, are variables that new parents can control. We got to change the name of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's interesting you said earlier and you mentioned it again. I was surprised that you said when the baby is napping, you should be napping because I feel like when the baby is asleep, you want to be monitoring him or her, making sure everything is okay. But 
not the case. What we usually do recommend if parents want to be close and monitoring is to just have the baby in the same room with you in their own sleep space, but that you can nap next to them. Okay, yes. Okay, so you'd be in your in your bed and the baby would be in either in a bassinet or crib near your bed. But it's taking that hour to nap while the baby is napping that is actually going to do your body the most good. Now, granted, this isn't always possible. People have more than one child. <laughs> well, no, why would they do that? Why do you- <laughs> it's not always possible. But if it is possible, we try and prioritize some self-care in addition to caring for the baby. I'm realizing, too, we haven't even talked about if you have twins or triplets. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And oh, yeah. really, it would be nice <laughs> on the baby's part if they the twins would if they did everything at the same time. time and had a schedule. Yes. And unfortunately, now I don't have twins. But I have heard that that is often not the case, that they often, until they're a good bit older, they are on sort of different schedules. Well, that is just, that's that's rude on the baby's (laughs) part. It is. It is. Because, yeah, you sort of, it's very hard to get rest. And this is where you need that village around you so that someone else can help care for the baby if, if you really have to have a break, you know, need a break. Who is the village? Obviously, parents. Both parents, you might have family or friends, right? So the friends of the parents or their parents, so grandparents can be the village. Some people have uh, godmothers who will come or aunties who will come. But you... you, Well, you as well, right? The the pediatrician. pediatrician. Yes, the pediatrician. Your unrelated family (laughs) village. Your local pediatrician, always a great resource for you know, what is normal or how might I navigate this problem I'm having, let's say with the breastfeeding or jaundice, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So we're usually checking the baby in the office, usually within a couple of days of going home from the hospital. And then at that visit, if the baby's having any issues with either breastfeeding, gaining weight or jaundice, then the pediatrician might have them come back a little sooner. But most, you know, you're going to keep a close eye on the baby and then be seeing them at pretty regular intervals that first few months of life. Today, healthcare providers face a daunting task of caring for the health and well-being of others because resources and staff are stretched thin. At Seracor, we provide healthcare IT services that help empower clinical staff, providers, and hospital operators to focus on what they do best, patient care. Seracor has a heritage rooted in our nation's top performing hospitals. With more than 30 years of experience, we partner with hospitals and health systems to become an extension of their technology team. Our clinical and technical professionals work with care locations to provide comprehensive IT and application support, technical professional and managed services, IT advisory services, and EHR consulting. Visit us at seracor.net. That's C-E-R-E-C-O-R-E.net to learn how we help tackle tough IT challenges. At Seracor, we know firsthand the power that integrated technology has on patient care and communities. That's why healthcare IT is the core of what we do. You know, it's interesting. This is my second time here at the Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. Wonderful hospital. But I came here a few years ago for something. And you're talking about the patient and the children and how they're they're so wonderful and happy and, and which is true. But my recollection from coming here many years ago was kind of looking at the faces of the parents walking the hallways and they weren't happy. Mm-hmm. And the juxtaposition between the colors and the the sort of fun atmosphere here was these were stressed out parents here who were probably scared and tired and 
really didn't want to be. I don't know why they were here. That was just my recollection, though, of being here a couple of years ago. It was like, oh, the parents here seem a little upset. I mean, mm. rightfully so upset. Is that? Well, that is true, because here at the hospital, the environment is a little different. Yeah, the parents are more stressed. Their child is ill. They're here in the hospital. This is not a a situation that people really would wish to be in. Mm -hmm. It's great that we're here to support them. But then again, you might you really don't want to have to need us. I think when I think about pediatrics, I guess the luxury of my experience has been I was in the community first before I came back here to Vanderbilt. So when you're in the community, the vast majority of what you see is the children who are normal and happy and healthy. And so you get to see the 80% of the people who don't have a problem and who are doing great. And it's the happy, healthy, self-limited illnesses. And then when you come here to the hospital, you get more children with, yes, chronic medical conditions, more medical complexity. They might also have a short-term problem that then gets better. But yes, you, you see more, certainly more stress and more medical problems and you get a different feel that being said, there is still joy here, too. Mm -hmm. You don't always get to see it, but there is definitely some joy here as well. That when people are able to come through their limited illnesses or become a NICU graduate and, and come out of the hospital mm -hmm. after being born premature, there is certainly still joy here. Let me ask, you know, you are a pediatrician, but you also are a parent, a mother yourself. When along your medical journey did you have your own children? Right. So I had my first child when I was just finishing residency. So I was pregnant in my last year of residency. And I remember being on call one night in the emergency room and I was uh, probably six or seven months pregnant. And it was about two or three a.m. And I went into the emergency, you know, I was taking care of a patient and the mother said, oh, darling, sit down, sit down <laughs> you know, because it's 2 a.m. I'm on my feet and I'm very pregnant. Yeah. And she was more caring and, and loving towards me, <laughs> even though she was there with her sick child. Yeah. So it was very sweet. But did those worlds ever clash? And what did you learn from, because yeah, you're a pediatrician, you're a trained professional in this area, but were there any surprises to you when you ended up going through your own birth with your yeah. child? So my oldest is 24 now. I'll tell you the biggest eye-opening experience for me was learning to breastfeed her. You know, you can read all the books you want, but to actually do it is a whole new experience. And it's, you know, the books and the, and the pictures and the stories and make it look like you're just supposed to, it's all natural and you're just supposed to know what to do. Well, it's it's not exactly that way. It's a definitely a learning process on how to getting teaching the baby to latch and and you learning how to get the baby to latch and and by the way, that is just a tough word to even <laughs> associate with this, right? Like boats get latched onto and uh -huh. and trucks get latched. I mean, this is this is the word on the street, by the way, amongst my friends who are starting to have kids and I'm going to them and I'm saying, "Hey, you know, what have we learned so far? And them and the, the wives have been like, well, breastfeeding. It's didn't see this one coming in terms of challenges. Yeah, it definitely can be challenging. And it is actually amazing, though, when you think about it, all the wonderful nutrients and antibodies that you're giving your baby when you breastfeed. 
And the benefits of breastfeeding are so huge, not only for the baby, but also for the mother. It actually improves her health. She has a reduced incidence of breast cancer, ovarian cancer. She has a reduced risk for heart disease and diabetes. She returns to a pre-pregnancy rate at a quicker pace. So there are many benefits for the mother as well. So it's a great intervention that we can do. It's not always easy, though. It is a challenge. And then, of course, sometimes the mother doesn't make quite enough milk for what the baby needs. Or if you've adopted a child, right, there are great ways to feed a baby other than breastfeeding. And we always want the baby to be fed. And we want to try and support the mother with her goals for breastfeeding and help support her supply. But it is. It's a physical challenge. You also, one of the reasons you will obtain a pre-pregnancy weight quicker is you are burning 500 extra calories almost a day to breastfeed a whole nother human being. So, May I ask perhaps a dumb question? Not for me, for the new parents. One, using a breast pump to pump milk versus actually having the child directly breastfeeding. Why does one do that? It's got to be less painful to just use a pump and pump it into a bottle and give it to the child versus... I should point out, I'm not a parent, so I don't. You know, it varies. So you, the pump you can, of course, you can adjust, right? So you can dial it down or up depending on the level of suctioning you want. So you do have a little more control over that, right? But But it still hurts. Some people still feel that pumping is not less painful. Let's just say that than nursing directly. Or they actually just prefer you. There is a a bonding that happens when you're nursing directly, there's not any bonding with a pump. It's a utilitarian tool, but it is not necessarily a warm, loving experience (laughs) in any any way. But it's a tool. It's wonderful for those mothers who are having to be separated from their babies. Let's say your baby's in the NICU and you're trying to stimulate your milk supply. It takes a few days to come in. So the pump is a tool that we use, or for me, as I went back to work full time after my first child was born, I used to have pump at work twice a day. So it helps maintain that supply, brings the milk to the baby, and then someone else can feed the baby. So when you're separated, let's say in my situation at work, but it was more of a tool to either stimulate your supply when you're separated from baby or support your supply once, let's say you're going back to work or school, Mm -hmm. but Yeah, pumping in and of itself is not always the greatest thing. (laughs) In terms of the bonding aspect, one thing that surprised me, again, my brother yesterday had his first job. I'm an uncle. Pause for clapping for the audience. Okay. I was surprised that they say, Andrew was mentioning that like he held the baby with his shirt off because they encourage Mm -hmm. skin to skin contact. Yes. That was interesting to me. I did not know that. Are a lot of fathers and mothers in the rooms with their shirts off? Is that what's going on? Yeah, we do see that a lot. Wow. New families, especially if they take a prenatal class, are encouraged to do skin to skin with the baby. We especially love seeing it in the first hour after the baby is born. It helps stimulate the mom's milk supply and it proves breastfeeding success rates when the baby can be held skin to skin with the mom. And the benefits to the baby are that it actually helps improve their respiratory status. It helps improve their glucose control and their temperature control. So snuggling with the baby can be a great thing. Now, granted, when it's with fathers, it is more a bonding experience as well as the comfort 
you know, the baby is more or less in your womb for nine months being held. And so having that close contact skin to skin does a lot to help settle that baby down and improve the vital signs. Dr. Hunter, I want to just talk a little bit more. Let's dive into the breastfeeding a little more, because this does seem like a topic that you're passionate about. Yeah, I was mentioning earlier that I had a real eye-opening experience when I was learning to breastfeed my first child after residency. I gained a whole new appreciation of how hard it is and how rewarding it is, but it was a huge learning experience for me. And having a child in, you finish three years of residency and you've done these many years of schooling and, and medical school. And so you, you come out and you have all the book learning, but there's all this practical learning that you happens. You don't have the street smarts. Of actually doing some of the stuff, breastfeeding or just caring for a new baby. So mm-hmm. you learned a lot. I want to touch on something else you said, which is you can read every book there is and you can try to prepare. But then it's like, this isn't a good analogy, but like, you know, Mike Tyson had that quote. that's like, everyone has a plan until you get, you know, punched in the face. Mm-hmm. that's not what parenting is, but there is like this element of, I would imagine even as like on the second or third child, parents are like, well, I did this once. I know how to be a parent now. I figured this out and it's got to be different for, I think you mentioned something about that. Yeah. So I have three children. My oldest is 24. My second is 22. And then I have a seven-year-old. So I had my last child later in life. And that has its advantages and disadvantages. Mm -hmm. One of the advantages is I'm more of a laid back parent the third time around. Not too much surprises me Mm -hmm. or makes me anxious. I'm a little more laid back with him. However, he has been the most challenging behaviorally. He was a very needy child. He was my worst sleeper. Okay. My first child was the best. She slept through the night at two months old. The last one has some pretty significant anxiety when he's by himself. Mm -hmm. And so he cried himself to sleep many nights (laughs) early on. And he's not good about staying in his bed and just other behaviors. He was a little later to talk. And so he just gets easily frustrated. So being able to parent, your children are always so different. You can be the same parent, but your children are different people. And how you approach them, how you manage some of their behavioral challenges, you learn. With each child, you learn something new. That's some skill you didn't have. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're talking about this now with perspective and looking back. But when you were going through it, was there confusion? Were you like, hold on, I thought I thought I had this figured out. <laughs> I thought I had it figured out, yeah. But that that's telling, right? Like if you, I'll let you answer, but I'm assuming you maybe were kind of like, what's going on here? I thought. I'm a pediatrician. This is, I've had two of these already and I'm, this is malfunction. Wow. And this is another example where the baby doesn't follow the book. They don't read. (laughs) So they didn't, they weren't following all the rules that worked with my other ones. So I, I had to learn to adjust and adapt, but luckily I did have a little bit of wisdom in the years to learn. I just had to do something different. I had to shift and adjust because they don't always do what you want them to do, and they don't always yeah, follow the rule book. And I guess part of the premise of this podcast is that we're talking about people who are venturing into this for the first time with their first babies. But a lot of what we're talking about is applicable to people that are having second, third children. Yeah, you, you are not a completed expert just because you've had 
one babies. You hear that, listeners? You're not an expert. It's like <laughs> sex. You know, Dr. Hunter, we're talking a lot about some very important things with regards to early childhood, breastfeeding, proper sleep. And if I'm a new parent, I want everything to go right. I'm prepared. We've planned this as a couple, but often best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. So can we talk just a little bit about when things don't go right, how new parents can weather those challenges? And we've talked about that a little bit in the beginning, but things are going to be hard and there are going to be challenges. And how can new parents get through those? I really encourage new parents to give themselves grace. Okay. You want everything to go perfectly, but life doesn't always work that way. We do our best. And what's important is at the end of it that you have a healthy, happy baby and a healthy and happy parents. And if the baby is having trouble, then the hospital and the physicians and nurses are here to help you and support the baby and you. And you need to give yourself grace. You can't do everything and not everything can be perfect. You might have a bad feeding. You might have a bad night with a lot of crying but the next day is a new day. Mm-hmm. Get some sleep, keep going, draw on your support system. But everyone is usually trying their best. If you feel there's a problem, let the nurse know, let the doctor know, let them help you if you think there's a problem and ask for help from your friends or family. But give yourself grace because it is, it's a physically challenging and we all need our support because we need to take care of ourselves in addition to caring for this new human being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. I have nothing quippy or funny to add to it. <laughs> I want to end Dr. Hunter with a little bit about, you know, you're a big advocate of children and programs like Nurture the Next. Anything important that you kind of want to touch on or that we could leave with maybe on that? Yeah. So another part of my work here at the Children's Hospital is in the realm of advocacy work. So I direct a rotation for the pediatric residents here on community health and advocacy. I also do a small group of interested residents. We call it an academic community, but we learn skills for how to become more effective advocates. And we like going to advocate with our local legislators, our state legislature, for What's important with Nurture the Next is evidence-based home visiting. So I support the organization and their main mission to support families doing home visiting work. There are lots of good programs in our area who do this work to support young families. And our main goal to support families is to have positive experiences with families and with their children, help support that. We are trying to diminish what we call adverse childhood experiences. We see the effects in the clinical setting of families who've gone through traumas of different kinds. And we want to try and be on the on the prevention side of that, mm-hmm. on the supporting of the parents. I also do some work around food insecurity here at the hospital. We do a food insecurity screening program and help connect families to resources. What does that mean, food insecurity? That's a good question. So food insecurity is the feeling or perception that you do not have access to good quality as well as good, healthy or enough food for your family. It is a measure that is measured by the USDA on a national scale. So families are surveyed regularly for this. 
So we have food insecurity as oh, a I'm country. Sorry. I thought you were saying food and ampersand security, but yes, food insecurity. Security. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I know some <laughs> things. Okay. Go on. So that's another way that I try and support families, which is to connect them to the resources that they need in the community. Okay. Well, Dr. Hunter, this has been fantastic. And you're going to be our first episode of the podcast. We've got five others. We're going to talk to people about nutrition, good nutrition. I'm sure breastfeeding will come up again. We're going to talk about encouraging creativity and play, stress management, technology for new parents and newborns. Any advice? You're sort of our kickoff is, I guess, what I'm saying. I don't know anything about parenting, but I'm setting out to learn about parenting because I have the time and I have, you know, I don't have a child, so I'm not biased. Any advice for me as I have these subsequent conversations with people who are early childhood experts? I think it's great to tap into their expertise in whatever area they're in. As I try and, and encourage young parents and and new moms and and be supportive, tell them what a great job they're doing. I think your job is to also shine a light on some of the challenges, but be supportive and be open, be listening. It's a unique experience, you know, to be a new parent and learn the whole parenting journey. But it is a journey. There is, there, there doesn't really actually seem to be a destination or some endpoint where there you're the expert. It's more what you've learned along the way as you go. Mm-hmm. And you're looking from either the the starting line, let's say with your own brother, or you're, you're seeing from the side as you watch other people go through their journey. And your role is to be supportive, shine mm-hmm. a light, encourage them. You're that support person on the marathon. Mm-hmm. You're holding up the banner. Tell them what a good job they're doing and you're cheering them on. That, that the is your role. just latch. That is just, <laughs> it takes a village. You know, the, the village metaphor has been brought up another couple of times. So don't seek, give, be supportive, and cheer, them. and cheer them on. Cheer them on. Well, Dr. Hunter, this has been great. Thank you for sitting down with me. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to I Sleep Great, a non-parent's guide to parenting, sponsored by Nurture the Next and Saracor. To learn more, please visit nurturethenext.org and follow I Sleep Great on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.